0: Hey, good morning. good morning. It certainly is good to be back, although some or other places will forgive that. We're not going to mention names, just saying. <laughs> I hope you're watching, Troy. Um, no, it's, it's good to be back. Last Sunday, I was in Santa Fe preaching for one of my doctoral students uh, whose uh, the church gave him uh, some time off to finish up his work. And we have had that on the calendar for quite a while, but it's always good to be back. It was a great reminder when I'm there, I'm, I'm sending greetings from, from Louisville, and I'm sure, uh, you know, they would have wanted me if I had asked them to bring greetings to you here. It's, I grew up in a place where, where Baptists, especially, but Christians uh, generally speaking, were few and far between. So when we were on vacation and we were driving around, and, and we were there, we would not miss Sunday, regardless of whether we were in Spain or in Germany or in Italy or wherever you know the road took us. Which you were thinking that's all sort. We were just driving down the road. Um, we would be in a church and bring greetings always. They wanted to hear how is the gospel being spread around. The world, right? So, so there's something to that. We are here because God placed us here. Are we hearing this? And there are Christians that are placed in other places with the same message, the same call, the same mission from God that they're to be his messengers. Let's not ever forget that. One of the most riveting, uh, kind of, uh, remarks I ever heard and that has not left me since. It stunned me when I heard it and it stunned the church. Uh, happy Fourth well, third, I guess today, right? Happy holidays with this <clears throat> This is what reminded me of this so i 've been down preaching in in Romania uh, several times uh, during the communist rule, uh, and Ceausescu was in charge, and there was standing room only there would be fifteen eighteen hundred people in a room, a third, maybe a fourth the size of this great hall, just packed like. You know, sardines in a can. And we had some come up. Ceausescu fell. It was a great day. Everybody celebrated freedom like there was just, uh, no limit to anything. And, and we had one come up who'd become a good friend. And I asked him to preach for me and I would translate and, and he get up and listen to this, friends. His, the very first sentence out of his mouth. I still get the chills. He said, friends, you can't believe how incredible it feels to be free and be able to say whatever we want to say about God in every context. But, and here, here's what stunned me. He said, no blinking, no stopping. He said, please pray for us that we will not become as lax with the gospel as you all are. I thought, I'm not going to translate that. (laughs) Stunned me to this day. This is like forever ago, right? It was just a few years after Bethesda died. (laughs) It just never left me. And I think about it every time we're celebrating our freedoms here. We have the freedom to share the gospel and to be God's messengers in the strongest way possible and be the the voice and the arms and the feet of Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior, so uh, we are the midst of a we 're in the midst of a series on prayer and i, I want you to to turn to to chapter thirty two of of um, the book of Genesis, and you can find that right because it 's the first book in the bible um, now go to chapter thirty two uh, I've, called this, I've called this message prayer that will not let go or that refuse to let go. Uh, I could have called it also prayer uh, because God won't let go or uh, prayers at the crossroads of life. There are so many powerful things. It's one of the most riveting stories we have in Scripture of someone's encounter with God. I'll begin to read uh the story in in verse uh 24. Uh the the run up for this is of course that that uh that Jacob uh the third of the patriarchs if you will uh, had had to flee his home uh because he has uh, tricked his brother. We're going to get back into that. And now he's he is um, he's lived a life and 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 things are are uh, anything but good and he's coming back to face his brother about 20 years later. And so he's scared. What's going to happen? And so he took all his his family, all his possession, and sent them across the river or that creek. uh, And then he stayed back. And here's where we pick it up. Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When the man saw that he could not defeat him, he struck Jacob's hip socket as they wrestled and dislocated his hip. Then he said to Jacob, let me go for it's daybreak. But Jacob said, I will not let you go until you bless me. What is your name? The man asked. Jacob. He replied. Your name will no longer be Jacob, he said. It will be Israel because you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell tell me your name. But he answered, why do you ask my name? And he blessed him right there. And Jacob then named the place Peniel. For I've seen God face to face, he said. Yet my life has been spared. The sun shone on him as he passed by Pino, limping because of his hip. That is why still today the Israelites do not eat thigh muscle that is uh, at the hip socket because he struck Jacob's hip socket at the thigh muscle. You know, this story about Jacob is a story about a man whose life has been filled with difficulties from the first get-go. But a man also who in the midst of his life has been stopped by God himself and he had everything changed. And I want you to see from even the beginning here that life change is hard. It is not easy. It's difficult. Different things are going to happen and you struggle and wrestle with the changes that God is calling on our lives. And so the image here, the picture of Jacob uh, who in solitude wrestled with God on the levee of Jabbok um, is an event that throughout history has been used by poets and painters and mystics and theologians. As an example of the long, tough, rigorous kind of but necessary struggle that people can have with God. It's about life at the crossroads. It's about these defining moments. In life. You know what I'm talking about? These moments that grant identity. These moments that change the projection of your thinking and of your life and your actions. These pivotal moments in life. Now, the three immediate difficulties that we find, obviously, when you read this text, we can't skip over that. Obviously, so when when you read it first and you're thinking, if God Almighty is God Almighty and, and, and Jacob is nothing but just kind of a weak a creation, right, a, a mere human being, why are they wrestling? He should just be overcome with, like nothing. There's no way that he could put up a fight against Almighty God. You know, it's almost like here, you know, you've probably heard that story about the elephant and the little mouse, and they were crossing a big wooden bridge, right? And the elephant is coming like this, and, and, the, mice is, and the mouse is running next to him, and the mouse looks at the elephant and says, Wow, we can make a lot of noise together, can we not? <laughs> There's something there we need to to look at. The, the other thing that we, we notice when we look at this here is that it's really not talking about Jacob wrestling with God any more than it's talking about God wrestling with Jacob. The wrestle match, if you will, or the struggle is initiated and concluded by God if you look closely at the text. And then the third thing that that kind of jumps uh, up at you is that this is a wrestling match. It is not a boxing fight, right? If if you're just striking someone, you can either uh, be strike back or you can run away, depending on you know uh, your chances, I guess, right? But if you're in a wrestling match, and some of you have seen these Olympic wrestling matches where and they're in pictures all the time when they're trying to depict uh, this very uh, event right here by, by painters throughout history, that these are, are wrestling, they're held together, and you have no chance. The only chance to, to escape is to either kind of wrestle yourself out of their grip or wrestle them to the ground and hold them down. There are only two options right there. So the real question, friends, when you look at this event, is why would God wrestle with Jacob? How are we going to understand that imagery of God reducing himself to the size of Jacob? What we have here is a picture of, of Jacob's life long struggle with God and with life and with reality. And it's a picture of God who refuses to let go of the promise he has given to Jacob. But also a picture of someone that, that he can't bring that promise to fruition until James's life. Has been changed. All the way. Through Jay, Jay, I said James. I meant Jacob. Uh, all the way through Jacob's life. In spite of incredible material success. Life has been a downward spiral. Further and further down. And we're going to look at that. In just a second. But from this Moment. This life-changing encounter with God. Everything changes and from being a downward spiral is now an upward spiral. Things were great. God does not let go of His promises. That was true then. And friend, that is true now. And if you're listening from someplace, whether you're at home, or whether you're on vacation someplace and you're listening in or you hear this later on, that is always the case. God does not let go of the blessings and the promises that he has given. So we look back at this story of the patriarch, Jacob. He's born in Hebron. That's not down the street here, Hebron Parkway, right? Born in Hebron. And he came out of his mother's womb as the second of two twins. Rebecca, his mother, has felt in her womb all the way through her pregnancy an extraordinarily kind of violent movement in her womb. It was as if the two children in the womb were having a fight inside of her. And then God spoke to her and he said, there are two people in your womb, two peoples, two people groups, if you will, in your room, in your womb. And one shall be stronger than the other. And the younger shall rule over the older, or the older shall serve the younger. And so when the two boys were born. The first that came out, it says about him that he was red, that he was hairy, and that he was strong. And so they called him Esau, which means strong, which means hairy, sorry. Called him Esau, which means hairy. And the other one came out, gripping the heel of Esau. As if he wanted to trip him already from the birth canal, if you will. Right from the beginning, he was going to trip him. And they called him Jacob. Which means the swindler. The deceiver. The one who takes for himself that which rightfully belong to someone else. Someone of a strange name to give you a child, yes? I don't recommend it. I'm just saying. And yet, it was a descriptive name for what was going to characterize Jacob's life until this moment. In fact, it became such an incarnate kind of part of who he was, Jacob, Jacob. That when Jeremiah, more than a thousand years later, prophesies, he uses that name like as a nickname, like as a smear word, like a reproach. He says, don't trust your brother. See, look at it in chapter 9 of of Jeremiah. He is always like a what? Deceiving Jacob. Now, we know the term today of a a doubting Thomas right out of the New Testament, right? Right? Back then, the line was, you were a deceiving Jacob. Jacob's identity was that of a deceiver. He was all about himself. Nothing mattered other than himself and his own benefit, if you will. The only rescue for Jacob. The only salvation for Jacob, if you will, was God's promises. And they were spoken loudly even to his mother before he was born, as we just mentioned. They were spoken again to Jacob strongly when he later on had a dream right in the midst of his escape from his home. And we're going to get back to that. And then when he saw that, that heaven opened and the ladder was there and the angels descended up and down. And then they were repeated again and again and again as as Jacob worked as an immigrant in a foreign country for his mother's brother or his uncle. Laban God's promises continue to reach out also to us you can't escape them no matter where you go no matter how far you try to run God does not stop trying to reach you and to have you hear his promises and trust that he will do What he says. But notice, friends, as we're talking about prayer and how to react to all this, notice how Jacob receives these promises. After the dream, that you, all those of you who don't remember the story, read about it in chapter 28 of Genesis, right? He has escaped because he has tricked, uh, his brother Esau, it cheated him out of his, his first, uh, his right as a firstborn. And he had to get out. And as he gets out, he, he stops it for the night. He, he makes a kind of a bed using a, a big rock there that later becomes an altar. And as he is there on that rock, He has this vision and this dream where he sees heaven opens and and angels, as I mentioned, are descending and and ascending up and down. And he sees directly from God. And then he hears these amazing words that are just identical to the promise that God had given his grandfather Abraham. I can read them for you if if you want to hear it just straight up. He says simply to them directly, that you are chosen. That through your seeds, new people will come out and through you, they, all the nations of the world will be blessed. Don't miss this. And this is overwhelming for Jacob. Incredible. And it was such a powerful event that, that, that he, he erected an altar that morning right in this place and he called it Bethel, the house of God or the place of God. And that's why also today, wherever you go, you will see churches called Bethel or you will see little kind of mission houses and all that called Bethel, the place or the house of God. But here's what is so incredible. No sooner... Has God given that promise to Jacob until he responds with an if? The last thing you anticipate, God says, all of this will happen. This is my promise to you, exactly like I promised Abraham. And then the response is, well, if I can trust you. Look at it, chapter 28 and verse 20. If this, if this, if it really happens, well, then I will do these things. I wonder, have you ever been there? You heard God's promise. You know that he's speaking to you. But hmm, what if? I don't know that I can really trust this. That's when we notice how J- Jacob is receiving these promises. See, when you receive a promise with doubt, it's not completely understandable. Uh, it's not completely impossible to understand, because not only can they be affirming, they can be terrifying, great, grand. Promises from God can be terrifying. They will flat change your life. And that can be terrifying. If you notice, God never ever says, I promise you, you're great. He never says, I promise you, I'm not going to change anything in your life. You're just wonderful as you are. He never says that. In fact, he says the exact opposite. He said, I will heal your struggles and restore your relationship. I will take that family that is now scattered throughout that time and I'll bring them together. I will open doors you didn't know even existed. I will reprioritize your life according to my promises and my guidance. It's scary and doubt comes in. And instead of praying to understand what that means, that promise that God gives, we begin to think, oh, I don't know about that. I'm not so sure about this. And rejection and wait and see kind of attitudes kind of sneak in. And even when they are creating faith, sometimes that faith becomes an uncertain faith, a nervous faith. I'm not really sure so I better give God a hand. Right? God blesses those who help themselves. Right? Yes? We bought into that sometimes. And sometimes we make it a pious kind of thing. Like, like really kind of godly we put this on it. Well, is it not good to kind of work hard to secure that what we're praying for really happens? Well, that kind of depends, does it not? Depends. We work because we really trust God. Or we work because we want to make sure that what we want is accomplished, even in the name of Jesus. Are you hearing what the text is saying here? There's a great amount of, of Christian activity that is built exactly on a trust in God's promises. And that's what we want to see. But there are also activity that, that originates from a lack of trust in God. There you was know, Spurgeon, the great Victorian preacher, uh, of, in, in Britain, one of the greatest preacher that this world has, has seen outside of the biblical kind of characters. And he said, we are not in the business of defending God. God is in the business of defending us so may I just say this as you pray through these promises that are on your life trust God rest on his faithfulness you know with with Jacob there seemed to be no real trust he was going to work it to his advantage. The end they justified whatever means. Even to the point that you can go back and read about this in chapter 30 of Genesis. When you come home. You see he even made use of pagan rituals. Superstitious nonsense. To get his way and have a greater group of sheep and goats. Than his uncle Laban. And so notice what happens here i got to speed up a little bit, but there's so much richness in this. Take notice what happens. Jacob got all the stuff that God had promised him, but that's it. Nothing more. Put differently, he could not destroy the promises of God, but he had to pay with the blessings of God. He got his stuff. Okay, we, we know that a little bit. We kind of use that when people are saying something about, oh, it's nice, oh, you know, pointing to some of the things that we, we have, and we go, oh, yeah, we're so blessed. But don't confuse blessing with stuff. He had no peace. His family life was hanging by the threads. He could, should always look over his shoulder wherever he went because everywhere he went, he had created enemies. He had nothing other than the stuff that belonged to the blessing of God. He had to live without the fellowship and the presence of God. And because of this, nothing but lack of peace and grief and confusion and fear and uncertainty kind of came his way. You know, it's, it's actually possible To have success without significance. To have prosperity without priority. To have influence without impact. And to have achievement without authority. You know, the things that can be counted are often the very things that don't count. You hear that? The things that can be counted are very often the things that don't count on what really matters. So he met God here at the crossroads. Everything that he had created had created difficulties for himself. And now he is in the situation. At least 20 years has passed since he had to leave his home. And now he was on that bank of Jabbok. Ready to cross the other side. And darkness overwhelmed him what happened? Did he just decide out of desperation, I, I better pray. You know, I, I got to have God's help here. I have no idea how to do this. He may kill me. I'm not sure what's going on. I'm going to pray it through. So I'm going to give it many hours. Is that good? Well, it is if the many hours have to do with waiting on God and listening to him and hoping and praying and asking God would you let me know how I am to understand and interpret what's going on at this moment? Please speak to me. But it's quite a different thing if you just keep begging on God. God, do this for me. I want you to do this for me. I had an um, an older lady, um, I think that's a kind way of saying it, uh, in our church overseas many, many, many years ago who came to me, and she was somewhat of a matriarch, a, a real prayer warrior in so many ways. And she came to me and said, Pastor, I'm not sure uh, God listens to me anymore. I said, what's going on? And, and she said, I have prayed for this thing uh, for so long. I spent at least an hour a day, probably more. And I fasted for weeks on end to really beg God to do this for me. But it seemed like he doesn't care. And I'm saying, surely you don't think that you can bribe God with fasting and long prayers. You cannot force God. We're not in the business of trying to get God to do our will. Rather, we need to seek to do his will. That's what prayer is. Not when we get him to do our will, but that we try to understand what his will is. One of the greatest examples we have of that is probably in Daniel chapter 10. If you go to that book and Daniel, it says about Daniel that he was completely distraught and full of grief because of what has happened to his people. And so he prays to God for 21 days and nothing seems to happen. But there's no indication that he was trying to bend God to his will by this. In fact, it says the opposite. In verse 12 uh, of chapter 10, God comes to him and he says, Don't be afraid, Daniel, for from the first day that you pursued to understand. Do you hear this? From the first day that you pursued to understand and to humble yourself before your God your prayers were heard and I have come because of your prayers. And then after that follows an explanation of why it had taken the 21 days of the three weeks. I hope you see the difference. It was the presence of God that called forth his prayer as opposed to trying to just force God's presence through your prayer. That's Where the school of prayer is taught. It's much like what Jesus said. Seek first the kingdom of God. Then all the other things will come. Paul says the same thing in Galatians chapter 5. When he lists out all these deeds of the flesh. All these many things that are vices. The opposite of that is not a long thing. Of things that are virtues; Rather it's one fruit. The fruit of the spirit. That which flows from a presence of God. That which flows from you drawing close to God. From there comes love and joy and peace and so on. Don't miss this. Prayer is at the center of all things. We get emotional about things. That's human. We are kind of an emotional bunch, are we not? Yes. But prayer does not depend on that. In fact, maturity is never evidenced any stronger than when they are able to direct your emotions. It's immaturity to not be able to do that. You know, a little kid comes and asks you something and you say no and they just throw a fit? Immaturity. Maturity is when you feel like that but you're not going to let it run away with you because you know better and you're able to direct your emotions that they may be used for the purposes of God so notice what happens here Jacob is at the crossroads he wrestled with God because he did not have any choice God would not let him alone. And so Jacob wins. Not by conquering God, but by being conquered by God. And it marked the rest of his life. I want you to see this, how powerful this is. The first thing we hear is that he gets a new name. You know, when God asked him, would you give me... Your name, it's not because God didn't know his name was Jacob. It's because he wanted to hear the confession. I am the swindler. I'm the deceiver. And God says, you're no longer going to be that. You're going to be Israel. Because you have struggled and wrestled with me and you have prevailed. In fact, I'm giving you a name that doesn't just point to you. It's a lineage. It's a people. It's a inheritance, if you will. It's a new identity that's going to flow in you and through you. Are you hearing this? How powerful is that? That's what God has wanted to do in your lives, in my life, in all of us. And then what did he do? He strikes him on the hip. I don't know why he did that. None of us will ever know why he did that. But what we do know is that it marked him for life. All the way through, we see pictures of Jacob leaning over his staff. Not a day passed by where he was not reminded that his life had become the way it was because he has met God. When when the book of Hebrews even ends with a description in chapter 11 about the death of Jacob, that whole scene is powerful talks about the very same thing he says when he was on his deathbed he blessed the sons of Joseph and he worshipped what while leaning over his staff never a second from that moment with God was he not reminded of of what was happening. God had marked him and touched him, and it had to change everything. Question is how's that in your life? We can become flippant real easy. That's why I also began with the story of this reference to my friend in Romania. The change in Jacob's life was complete. Jesus has a little story about this. It's it's a parable of a man who sees a field. He finds a treasure in the field and he sells everything he owns to get this field. Why? Because he wanted the field. No, he wanted the treasure. Yes. And here's how Jesus takes this story and connects it directly to you and to me. He meets Nathanael as he's calling the disciples, chapter 1 in, in the gospel of John. And at the very last verse of the first chapter, I think there's 51 verses. That's so chapter, five, verse 51. He says to Nathanael, who has just confessed that he was the son of God. Jesus, you're the son of God. And he said, You believe? Just because of other things I told you, I tell you, you shall see heaven open and angels ascending and descending, pointing right back to this. The promises of God given to Jacob flow through that whole thing and through Christ to us. Yes. Don't miss this, friends. We're not talking ephemeral stuff. This is not just Bible study for the sake of knowing a little bit more about what the Bible says. This is your life every day God is calling on us on the July 4th weekend to hear his word about encountering him at the crossroads of our life only that will truly change us our families our city, our state our nation and our world Father, would you speak with power? Teach us to pray. May we not just be here because that's our normal pattern. May we be here because we need those moments. And when the when the young ones are going on camp, may those moments occur to them there and there as they have to so many others. And may they stick when they come back. May we who are here celebrate with them that they have met God in a strong way but father not just them but all of us from the oldest in this room and the oldest who is listening to the youngest may we come to that bank that levee of Jabbok and meet with you In a way that clearly transforms the way we think about everything. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Amen. We're going to stand, friends. I know the time is a few minutes over, but we can handle that, right? spent these moments praying some of you may want to grab someone's hand someone may want to come kneel right here in front i know we're not a church that comes forward a whole lot i don't know whether i think that's good or bad but i do know that i think it's great when the church engages with god in a way that is real and transforming so do that during these moments